And if this is your first time, we're so glad you're here. In fact, let's give a hand to all of our first-time guests. We're really glad that they're here. Um, <clears throat> we do have a gift for you at the back table. So if you haven't got one already, we want to make sure you get one of those. Fill out the Connect card so we can know who you are and connect with you later. Um, in next Sunday, we're going to have our newcomers luncheon. So if you're relatively new to the revolution, uh, we'd love to have you join us for lunch. It's on us. We'll meet at Bighorn Barbecue over there on 288 and, uh, and uh, Ranch Road over that direction. And so come and join. That's where we share with you the vision and the values of our church. And you get to meet our leaders and we get to know who you are. It's a great time. If you're still checking out Revolution, trying to figure out if this is the church for you, that's a great event to attend right there. Also, I uh, want to welcome all of you who are watching online. Uh, Seem like a growing number of people watching online, even from different states. We're so glad that you're out there and that you're watching. Be sure to do something where you know that you're out there. Let us know what state you're watching from or what city. Leave a comment, like, share, whatever you want to do. Hey, I have a good update for you um, about our, the potential for a building. I've been trying to kind of not talk about it too much because, well, you'll know why here in a second. But anyway, so here's what was happening because I can talk about it openly now and it's not a problem breaching of confidence. So two miles up the road from here is a, there's a church that's actually our sister church. They were started by the same church we were started by, but like 32 years apart. And, um, and I never knew really what was happening back there with that church. It wasn't really, seemed like a whole lot going on. And so um, long story short, two families, one family who goes to our church and one family who goes to that church, were talking about how things were going with each other's churches. And the family from that church suggested, why don't our churches merge? Because we got a building and no people, and you got a bunch of people and no building. And thought, well, that sounds good. So anyway, the, the family from our church called me and said, hey, this is the conversation I had. You know, what do you think about that? I said, you know what? Let's just pray about it. I don't want to do anything yet. I don't want to just jump the gun and go talk to them or whatever. Let's just pray about it for a while. And an opportunity came up where I got to meet the pastor of that church and invite him to a pastor's luncheon for the Paraland. And I didn't mention anything about us, buildings, or anything like that. Just said, hey, it's good to meet you. I want to invite you to this lunch and all that. And then later, I prayed about it a little bit longer, and I felt God, like God opened a door for us to meet again. And I told him about, hey, this is, what do you think about this possibility, about our churches merging together? And he, he was in favor of it, and we prayed about it some more. And uh, anyway, he suggested maybe our two boards meet and I said, well, before that happens, I think you and I need to meet again, talk about it further, which we did. So we had lunch together. And uh, anyway, long story short, there's some people that are there that are still kind of hesitant about it. They're not really sure. So we're just, both sides are just praying about it. So uh, I want you all to be praying about that because on paper, it looks like a no-brainer. But, you know, God works differently. And, and let me just say this very clearly and publicly, that if this is not what God wants, I'm very happy here. This is the best facility we've had. We're okay here. This doesn't cost much here. We've got the classrooms we need. I mean, is, is it perfect? No. But if God wants us here for a few more years, great. But if God works this out for this, what's a, basically a brand new 200-seat auditorium two miles down the road, that would be awesome too, right? Okay. So I'm just careful about not coveting, you know, and doing anything like that. Just not trying to jump ahead of God. So I'm telling you all those details now so that you could be praying with me. And like I said, I didn't want to announce that publicly because some people in their church didn't even know about the discussions that were happening, but now they do, and so it's, it's all in the clear. Hey, uh, 
Next week, I'm sorry, two weeks, right? Yeah, two weeks from today, our teens will be going to Urban Air. Only 10 bucks includes pizza and everything. So plan on inviting your friends to join us for church and then go with us after church to this event. And if you want to sponsor an October or November event for teens, let us know. Um, we'd be, love to have you do that for us. Um, also, our life groups, we've added a couple of new ones. On Sunday afternoon, we have an adult life group and a teen life group that meets at the same time in different rooms. So we'll serve lunch right after church, and then we'll go in diff different directions. We'll be done promptly at 2 o'clock. And then you can see right there, the, the Thursday night Pearland life group moved to Tuesday. So you got Tuesday, Pearland, Wednesday, Santa Fe, Thursday, Texas City. And then uh, it's coming up September 12th, we're going to have a life group training. So it's for all of our current leaders and anybody who wants to be a, a life group leader. So please let us, if you want to be a host or a leader or whatever God you think is, is leading you to do. Um, we will have communion today after the message to start beginning to prepare your heart that direction. And coming up on October 3rd is a thing called Project 938 because in Matthew chapter 9 verse 38, Jesus commands us to pray how? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, which is him, to send out laborers into his harvest. So, you know, there are still two and a half billion people on the planet who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we are supposed to fulfill the great commission and share the love of Christ. And so here's a, a report from one of our missionaries urging us about this. Give it just a minute there. And I think while he's getting that ready, um, I encourage you to set an alarm on your phone. I have an alarm on my phone that goes off at 9.38 every morning, and I just take 30 seconds just to pray that God would send missionaries. Are we good with the video, or should we do that later? There we go. And turn that up a bit. Hello. My name is Shane Salmon. My family and I are missionaries to the country of Thailand. Thailand is located in Southeast Asia and borders Myanmar, Laos, and Cambodia has a population of 69 and a half million people. Now, Thailand's known for many things, from its beautiful beaches, to its amazing Thai food, to even exotic wildlife. Thailand is known for something even more significant than that, and that is the culture and traditions and religion of Thailand. Thailand has the second highest percentage of Buddhists in the world. Thailand is sitting at 94% being Buddhist, 4% being Muslim, and just that 1% claiming Christianity. Now, my family has been privileged to serve here for five years, and it is a true blessing. But missionaries have been in the country for over 200 years. We have six BGFI missionaries here, but the work is not done. I believe that God is calling even more to this field. Would you join us in praying that Lord of the Harvest would send forth laborers into this field? That we would see more come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior? This is the time. Would you join us in pray? that God would send more to Thailand. Would you join us here and serve with us? All right. So we're going to do that right now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you love us and you loved us enough to send your only son into the world to die for sinners like us and that he trained men to go out into the world. And because of those 11 men, we're here today and the gospel of Christ is around the world, but there's still places where it's not. So, Lord, we just pray that you would raise up young men and women to go and to, to obey your command and to go to parts of the world that we cannot. So, Lord, help us to either be willing to give or be willing to go. 
and uh, that the, the people's lives would be changed by the love of Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship Jesus.
other song, sing it with us.
Blessings, Lord, upon this church, and we thank you for your word, and Lord, we just ask that your spirit move through here and speak to each and every one of us, Lord, and we pray for these upcoming things, Lord, and these events with our teens, and most of all, we just pray that 
we're able to reach them with Jesus, Lord, and they're able to know you and have a better relationship with you, Lord. And we wish that for all of us, and that's what we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Into the universal human condition. 
But Moses doesn't give up hope entirely. That's right. He says that somehow, on the other side of Israel's exile, God promises to transform their heart so that one day they truly can listen and love. In the final chapters, Joshua is appointed as the new leader of Israel. And then Moses takes the entire lot of the one he just predicted Israel would break. That's right. And he puts it into the Ark of the Covenant. And then Moses hikes up to the top of the mountain so he can see the promised land from afar. And then he dies. And that's how the Torah ends. Which is a strange place to end the story. And it's right there in the climax. Will they obey the laws and live faithfully in the land or not? Well, the story does continue right into Joshua, the next book of the Bible. But this is the end of the Torah. And it's been ended here for a reason. The Torah is written for people who are either outside of the land or who are still waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise to bless the whole world. And so now as each generation reads the Torah, they find themselves called to hook in what Moses hoped for. A new, transformed heart that one day can truly listen and love. Listen and love. Hope those two words just ring in your ears. I want you to think about something for just a moment with me. Think about the two or three things that you like like or liked best about your parents? You may have trouble thinking of two or three things, depending on your situation. Think about the two or three things you really would like to copy in your parents that my mom was just, a, and I wish I could be like her or whatever, okay? Set those on the shelf for just a second. Now think of two or three things about your parents that weren't that great. <laughs> and you, with, by God's grace, you don't want to do those things. So, Moses is talking to a generation of people saying, your parents were about to receive it all and they blew it. Here's how you can not be like them. And here's ways you can be like them, but we're fixing to put you in the promised land and Moses is about to die, but he's trying to give them a golden opportunity to live better than their parents. Their parents were slaves. Their grandparents were slaves. Their parents wandered in the wilderness they're about to forget the wandering, forget the slavery, and conquer a land that they didn't even build and inherit all this incredible stuff if they will simply do this. Listen and love. Listen and love. And you know, God is presenting the same golden package to you today if you will simply listen and love. This Deuteronomy is for all generations, and so there's lessons we can learn here. So we're going to read through this chapter. It's a little bit long, but... Um, I'm going to have you read with me on every other slide, okay? So I'll start here with the first slide. It says, so Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. And everybody together on verse 3. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them, and Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord spoke him. Good. And then verse 4 says, And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land, and when he destroyed them. And join me on verse 5. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave or forsake you. Do not be fear or be dismayed. 
Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, children, little ones, and the sojourner within your town, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law. Join me on verse 13. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days are approaching when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourself in the tent of meeting that I may commission him. And Moses and Joshua went in and presented themselves in the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of a cloud. And the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, <clears throat> Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them. Together with me on this verse. In the, Lord, in the land that they are entering, and they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them. And hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not with us, or among us? And together in verse 18, And I will surely hide my face in that day, because of all the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. Now therefore, write this song, and teach it to the people of Israel. Put in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. Verse 20 together. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I have swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full grown and fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring for I know what they are inclined to do even today before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give last verse says so Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel and what's interesting is chapter 32 is that song and read ahead this week because it's a beautiful and sad song at the same time but we'll we'll cover that next week so um let me Actually, I thought that was the last verse. It's not. So let me keep reading here. Verse 23. And the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them, and I will be with you. Let's read verse 24 together. When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in the book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites to, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to take, take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. Everyone on verse 27, for I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? 
Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. Everybody in verse 29. For I know that after my death you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you because you will not do what is evil. You will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the, through the works of your hands. And this is God's word. You know this phrase here, when the cat's away, what? The mice will play. And Moses is saying, when I went away into the mountain for 40 days to receive the Ten Commandments, it was just a matter of days, and I come back down, and you guys are acting like crazy, immoral people. And he said, if that just happened when I was gone for 40 days, what's going to happen when I'm dead? And he said, I'm laying all this out before you. God's saying, hey, man, you've got the... You're going to have the best crib in town. You're going to be, everything's going to be awesome if you will just love and listen. But I know you. <laughs> I know you're not going to do it. And you're going to suffer for it. And he's afraid that when he's gone and dead, that, that all this will happen. What's interesting is, um, you, if you're new to revolution, one of the, the key tools we use to understand scripture is what's called a chiastic structure. Not every chapter in the Bible has them, but many, many do. In fact, many books of the Bible are written in a chiastic structure. In fact, the whole Bible is a chiastic structure. And what I mean by that is we, uh, we in the West, we, we tell a story. We start at the beginning. We tell what happens next, what happened what next, what happened next, and here's how it ended. Boom. Story's done. Linear. But in their culture, they would introduce, here's what happens, and they go to the next section, get to the main point, but then work their way out the way they came in. For example, the Bible begins with a man in a garden, and, and he has, he has a, he's at a tree and has a choice whether to obey or not. Okay? In the, the Bible ends with us in the garden and permanently living with the Lord. And you see, and right in the smack dab middle of the Bible is Jesus Christ being the obedient Adam who has his side pierced to give life to his church. And you see that structure all throughout the Bible. And so here, you see a lot of them. And again, I don't expect you to be able to read all this at once. But let's just kind of walk through it because this is going to be our main points. So Moses begins with how he spoke these words to all of Israel. And he ends with how he speaks new words in the form of a song to, again, all of Israel. Then his second point is, the Lord your God, that, point, that phrase is important. He says, he will go over before you, he will destroy the nations before you. But then towards the end, what does he do? The Lord your God, that he may be there with you. But this time, instead of going before you, he's going to be against you. Then the third point, he tells them, be strong and courageous. Don't fear. The Lord your God goes before you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And then towards the end, of, in his conclusion, same thing. Be strong and courageous. And the Lord says, I will be there with you. And then he moves on further. In the pink there, it says, or fuchsia or purple, whatever you want to call that. Then Moses wrote this law and he gave it to the priests and sons of Levi. And then Mo it ends with Moses writes a song. You see the parallel there? It's like a sandwich. Bread, cheese, lettuce, meat, meat, meat. Lettuce, cheese, bread, right? Okay, so keep that in your head if, you, if, if that helps explain things for you. And then... He moves to the next point. He talks about the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And then he talks about, hey, but you're going to despise and break my covenant. And by the way, um, so if you're ever interested in looking into these, there's, there's a couple of websites. One's called Chiasmus Exchange. 
And it's where professors and theologians exchange these ones and they submit their ideas and people comment on them and some see it differently or whatever. So when I went to find chapter 31, see if there was one there, there wasn't one. But through a lot of study and prayer, this came to, this is, I don't think I'm forcing this one, do you? This, this is one I discovered and so I'm going to submit it to the, the exchange. And it, it's pretty cool how if you just look at these things, you'll find them. So I challenge you when you read a psalm or a proverb, whatever you read, see if you can look for these and find them on your own. So he says, specific phrase here, he'll be, appear before the Lord your God at a place. And then he talks about how these evils won't come among us because God's not with us. So here's where you go to meet God, and now all this evil's happening because we're not meeting with God. And then in the green, he says, hear and learn the Lord your God as long as you shall live in the land. And then he does, does two other verbs. Instead of hearing and learning, you know what you're going to do? You're going to rise in horror. And instead of the Lord your God, it'll be the foreign gods in a different land. But he uses those parallels there. And then, the, then he says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you will die. And then he says it to him another way. You're going to lie down with your fathers, which is a nice way of saying going to push up daisies. She'll be gone. So, but the meat of the sandwich is this. Right in the very many, middle of the chapter, in the middle of the chiasm, that says the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of a cloud, and the pillar of the cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. The core of this chapter is God appeared. God showed up. God miraculously met with his people. More specifically, he met with Moses and Joshua to oversee the transition of leadership. So let's start with this first one and make it our first point. We need a Moses to speak the word. We always need a Moses to speak the word to us. Verse 1 says, speak to the words to all of Israel. And, and what Moses was doing is not speaking what he thought. Not doing his opinion, but he was speaking on behalf of the Lord. And wherever God takes you in this life, whether you move to Louisiana or California, Lord willing, maybe you always stay here, but a, a good number of you are going to move to another town, another state, or, or somewhere farther away where you can't go to Revolution Church. And I implore you to find a Bible-believing church where there's a Moses speaking the word of God. Not someone telling encouraging stories and motivational speeches and just read a verse and then just go off into all these stories about well, their life experiences, but someone who is giving you, feeding the word of God verse by verse so that you can understand what God is trying to say, not what man is trying to say. Moses says three things about himself. I'm 120 years old today. Now, I've tried to read up on this and see what different people thought. Some people think that this actually was Moses' birthday. Happy birthday, Moses. You're going to die. <laughs> that, but there's, there's a lot of reason to think that maybe Moses would die on his birthday because his life was such a perfect picture of 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in, out in the desert, 40 years leading Israel. And I wouldn't be surprised if God had him die on the exact same day he was born. But we don't know. But happy birthday, Moses. And he says, I'm no, I'm no longer able to come and go out and come in. Now, he's saying that's about to happen because of in the next chapter, it says Moses was, was still um, vigorous in his latter days. So this is something that's obviously new or about to happen. But he said, you know, I'm getting pretty old. I'm not going to be able to lead you anymore. But that's not why he's not going into the promised land, right? Why is Moses not going in? Because he ticked God off by striking the rock a second time. And he said, and God told him, hey, you're not going over. You're not allowed to go. So I'm 120 years old. I probably couldn't go in if I wanted to, but God has already told me that the timing is now that I shouldn't be going in. And 
It says, but, but then he, after complaining about himself, and I don't mean complaining, but he's showing you what's wrong with him. I'm old, I, I'm not physically up for this anymore, and I'm not even allowed to go in. But someone better than me is going with you. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy the nations, and you need to do as the Lord has spoken. And see, this is, what Moses does here, right here, is powerful. Godly leaders speak the word more than your opinions. He's saying, hey, look, I'm just an old guy. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have much of a future with you, but hey, let me tell you someone who's going to guide you. And that's the Lord himself. And that's what godly leaders do. They point to the word of God more than their opinions. Not that they never express opinions, but they make it very clear that that's the priority. Godly leaders are open about their weaknesses and failures. Moses is just telling them, hey, you know, I'm not going to be your leader anymore. He's not trying to hold on to the very end and, and try to assert his authority and say, hey, don't forget me after I'm gone. He's like, you know, I'm out of here, but you have a better leader coming with the Lord himself through Joshua. But he was very open about his weaknesses and his failures. And godly leaders point you to how great God is, not how great they are. You know, we, we live in an unusual age, okay? Um, we, I was listening to a podcast this, this week. I strongly recommend it. Uh, by, it's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill by Christianity Today. And it's several podcasts. And it has more to do with just that church and Mark Driscoll. It's about the culture we live in to where young pastors can instantly become superstars because of the internet and because of YouTube and because of all these things. And so what you have happening is these guys who are like 29, 30, 35, and all of, this, all of a sudden they're instant superstars and they fill up a church with thousands of people and they can't handle it. <laughs> And the, and, and the number of them falling morally or, or, all, or in all kinds of financial scandals is outrageous because what you're doing is you're propping up someone who's not mature enough to be in that situation. And all of a sudden you've got everybody likes his Twitter feed and everybody just loves his Instagram. And, and all of a sudden he's a celebrity and he's selling all kinds of you know, videos, DVDs, whatever. And his book sales are off the chart and thousands of people come to his church. But what's funny is when those people fall, the church just implodes which tells you it was all about him, not about the Lord. And I'm not, I'm not anti-mega church, okay? There's some really good, healthy mega churches, but there's some that are definitely not. And, and whether, it's, whether it's a church of 10,000 or 75, godly leaders need to point to, to how great the Lord is, not how great they are. 1 Corinthians 2.1, Paul says this. And, and he says, and when, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I wasn't, people didn't walk away from Paul going, man, he is so eloquent. Or man, he, his stuff is so deep. He just seems like he's so wise. No, he says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul basically had one sermon. Jesus died for you and he rose again. And that was the core of every message he preached. Whether, whether, no matter where he was, he always went right back to the cross. And he, it wasn't about your best life now or here's six steps to be a, a better employee or here's how you can experience God's power in whatever. You know, it, it, it wasn't just about how you could be a better you, but how God is amazing and you need a savior. And he was, that was the focus of his message. And he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in trembling. So let's say, let's say Revolution Church, we're going to plan a revival service, good old-fashioned revival service. We're going to do a week-long services, and we're going to bring in one of the top speakers in the nation to come in. So what are we looking for? Um, let's see. Let's look for somebody who's weak. Let's look for somebody who's really afraid of speaking, and when they get up and speak, they're trembling the whole time. Let's bring that guy in. 
You know, and Paul, Paul, the guy who almost single-handedly turned the world upside down more than any other apostle, this is how he describes himself. Now, I'm not saying that this is an excuse for being a poor public speaker, okay? But what this points to is that the power is not in our oratory. The power is in God. The power is in the scriptures. He says, but here's what I did instead. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, my, my prayer is when I preach to you, you don't walk away going, wow, Gary was really preaching good this morning. But man, isn't God's word amazing? And isn't the God of the Bible fantastic? That's what my prayer for us as a church is. The next point is the Lord your, Lord your God himself will go before you. But then towards the end he says, the Lord your God, uh, that it, the law and the covenant may be there for a witness against you. So in one case, God's saying, I'm working for you. In another sense, he says, I'm working against you. And what's the difference? Obedience versus disobedience. And so what we hear here is God's, God's, God, typo, sorry. God in his word works for you or witnesses against you. God in his word works for you or witnesses against you. You know that scripture that says that my word shall go out and will not return void? And we think, you know, you share scripture with somebody, someday somehow that's going to turn out for good. But that's not what that verse is saying. Because there's people you've shared the gospel with. There's people who have heard messages like the gospel here at Revolution Church and have gone their whole life and not gotten saved. Never surrendered to Jesus Christ. And you say, well, is God's promise not true? My word shall not return void? No. God says it's going to do one of two things. It's either going to change you or I'm going to use it to judge you. Because when those, stand, when those people stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Lord's going to remind them, say, hey, remember in November 14th when you were in that little country church and that preacher preached Jesus died for you and you didn't want to go forward and accept Christ because you're, you thought you'd be embarrassed in front of your friends and after that you just kind of blew it all off? Remember that? That was my word coming to you. And my word doesn't return void. Today, this word of God is going to judge you. And I'm going to be just when I judge you. You can't say I'm not being fair because you didn't hear. That's how the word doesn't return void. Um, he says, the Lord your God himself will go before you as the Lord has spoken. You see, God promises to, not let, to never leave you or forsake you. And he has spoken those words. And those promises are what we need to cling to, what they need to hold to. And they're all in the book of the law. So take this book of the law. He says later, he says, and put it by the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was where God sprinkled the blood to show his mercy on it. And God's still being merciful through his whole process. He said, but it's going to be in there so you will never be without excuse. You're supposed to take this with you wherever you go. And so generations from now, we're like, well, we don't know what to do with our lives. And God doesn't seem to be blessing. He's going to say, hey, right there in the ark, there's the scripture for you. We're reading, we're supposed to be reading it all the time. We've had every seven years, shut down the whole country. Don't do anything and just read the scripture all year long. Just read the scripture. And nowhere in the Old Testament we ever find they ever did that. He told them to do it. And when they got into the promised land, Every seven years, let the land rest, let your slaves free, and just focus on the Bible, and they didn't do it. And so guess what? It works against them. And that's the way God's word is. God's word, God and his word will be either working for you or a witness against you. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is living and active. It's alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. It can cut for you or it can cut against you. It can be used to defend you from evil or it can be used to discipline you because of your evil. 
It's a two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit. Think about that. What is a soul and what is a spirit? The Bible tells us they're different, but we don't really exactly know. <laughs> but the Word of God does. The Word can divide it right down the middle. And even the joints and the marrow. Where does your bone marrow end and your bone begin? It's not really exactly. It's such a gradual thing. But the Word of God says, I know exactly where the dividing part is. And in fact, the discerner of thoughts and the intents. Here's what you think you're going to do, but here's what you actually intend to do. And we play all kinds of mind games with ourselves like that, but the Word of God knows exactly the difference between your intentions and your actual thoughts about what you're going to do. So we go to the next point. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not be in fear and dread. And here's why. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. So long they were looking at Moses. Moses. We need Moses. We need Moses. And Moses is like, no, no. Look to God. He's the one that's going with you. Yes, there's going to be a Joshua take my place. But the problem is your eyes have been on me. And every time I turn my back and the cat's away, the mice play. The true test of your Christianity is what do you do when no one's watching? I, as a pastor for, you know, since I've been 22, um, I will walk into a room and see the conversation change. <laughs> oh, Pastor Gary's here. Okay. You know, or, or just people talk to him. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean, excuse my French. People say all the time, you know, because I know I'm a pastor. You know what? You should be acting the exact same way when Brother Gary's in the room or Brother Gary's not, okay? I'm not Moses. I'm not Jesus. I'm never close to any of those people. I'm just another believer like you trying to share the word of God. But you should be behaving the same way as if Jesus is standing right there with you all the time because he is <laughs> that's not just an illustration it's true <laughs> okay when you were surfing on the internet the other night he was right there when you're driving in your car deciding what station to listen to he's wishing he could push the button back to where you had it <laughs> you know when you turned your back on your spouse and rolled your eyes he saw that he's he's there and you know the bible says the fear of the lord is knowing the presence of god when you know he is ever present, we, we talk about what? Omnipresent. He's everywhere. He, he, he's not only geographically with you everywhere, he's in your tomorrow and he's in your past. And that's a whole other deep subject we won't go into right now. But anyway, then, so our next point comes from true strength and courage comes from abiding in God's presence. True strength and courage, because there's a false kind of strength and courage. There's an audacity, an arrogance, a cockiness, we're not talking about that. We're talking about true strength and courage that comes from abiding in the presence of God. It says, and the Lord will, this is a promise, give them over to you and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment. He's saying, hey, I'm going to, and you, I, I highlight both these because who's doing it? Is the Lord doing it or are you doing it? And the answer is both. There are times in our life that God totally does everything and we did nothing. But most of the time, God wants to, he doesn't have to, but he wants to use you. So do you say, I led someone to Christ or Jesus saved that person? It's both. God used you to lead him to Christ because Christ saved him. You know, you could say, well, I gave so much money to the church. But who gave the money to you? God did. But God used you to give it. It's interesting in Luke 6, 36, it says, give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, shall men give into your bosom. So the way that God gives back to you is by giving through other people. God could just show up and say, hey, here, Chris, here's a check. Have a great day. And you'd be like, oh, you know. 
but God uses other people to bless you because he wants to use. He doesn't have to, but he chooses to use sinful, broken pieces like us. Isn't that amazing? Are you thankful for that? We should be thankful that the Lord does things, but he uses us to do them. And, and he says we do it when he would do it according to the whole commandment. So again, this comes down to just like last week. There's two doors in front of us. You've got obedience, which leads to blessing, and you've got disobedience, which leads to cursing. And here's the most dangerous part about all this. Most of our disobedience is passive-aggressive. We don't really think we're going through the wrong door. We've got our justifications as to why this is the right door. You know, that, well, me and my girlfriend, you know, we, yeah, we, maybe we're doing things we shouldn't be doing, but we're engaged, so it's okay. Wrong door, wrong door. You may be justifying in your mind, and you may be rationalizing, but your rationalizing is just a rash of lies. It's, we, we, most of the time, I think when we go through the wrong door, we think we're doing right, but somewhere, Somewhere deep down inside, I think we know, no, it's not right. But we keep silencing that still small voice, like, no, shh, 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 it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay, everybody's doing it, everybody's doing it, everybody, nobody's complained about it, it's all everything's gonna be okay, shh, be quiet. Because God doesn't scream at you, stop that, stop that. He's like, you know it's not right. You, you know it's not right, right? And we're like, no, no, shh. And, and, and I think our subtle disobediences that everybody's okay with but God's not okay with are the most dangerous ones of all. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread. Notice the opposite, strong versus fear, courageous versus dread. I want you to do the opposite of those things, okay? And he says, for them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. Remember last week we learned that where there's, rep where there's repetition, there's what? Revelation. He keeps repeating his phrase, I'm going with you, I'm going with you, I'm going with you. Starting a new job, I'm going with you. Moving to Kentucky, I'm going with you. Going through a divorce, I'll go through it with you. Going through bankruptcy, I'll go through it with you. Going through cancer, I'll go through it with you. And the thing that God says that tells you not to fear, not to be afraid, is not because it's all going to be okay. It's because I'm going to be with you. And as long as the Lord is with us, then that, that's fine. That's where we want to be. And see, what we often do is we pray, God, give us a safe trip. God, keep everybody healthy. God, feed all of us. And God, God, give me this job. And God's like, what if I don't want to do those things? What if through your unemployment, you'll spend more time on your knees than you ever have before, and you will find a greater treasure than any paycheck could ever provide? So what we should be praying is not for all the bonuses, but for God's will to be done. And God, if your will means suffering, so be it. If God, your will means loss, so be it. If God, if, you mean, if it means that grandma doesn't make it through and she dies, then so be it. And see, that's when we're prepared for the worst because we know that even through the worst, God can be glorified. You see, people will say, the biggest complaint against God, and teens, you're gonna learn about this today, is why does a good God allow bad things to happen to evil people? Okay? The question should be, how, does it, how do evil people get any good from a great God? How do we get even anything? How does somebody who is a child molester go outside and enjoy the sunshine and enjoy a great meal and barbecue? That's what we should be asking is how do evil people enjoy, get anything good from God? Because the, what's wrong with that phrase is how do bad things happen to good people? The problem is there's no such thing as good people. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. 
Now, if you want to compare yourself to Hitler, sure, you're good. But the comparison isn't you versus Hitler. The comparison is you versus Jesus. And you think about how many times we fail him and our hearts go in other directions and we don't give him our all. We're not good people. And so really the judgment of God should be coming upon all of us, but the mercy of God is holding back. And so we're really asking the wrong question. God is going with you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. John 15, 7 says, Jesus says, if you abide in me and, don't forget this second part, and my words abide in you, ask what you want. <laughs> It'll be done. In other words, if you get so close to me because you're spending time with me and time in my word that whatever you ask for, it's going to be done because guess what? Your heart becomes my heart and we're wanting the same thing. And so therefore, we're able to ask things. See, we, James says, you have not because you ask not and because you ask wrongly because you ask to consume it upon your own lusts. We often, most of our prayers, most of Gary's prayers are to make Gary feel better. And that's not the kind of prayers that God will necessarily answer. But what I want, what the heart of Jesus wants, for people to be saved, for him to be glorified, for the world to be, to, to be prepared for the kingdom of God, those are the things he's going to answer. And we are supposed to abide in Jesus to make these promises come true. So the next point, then Moses wrote the law, and then later he writes a song. And in both cases, he presents them to all of Israel. So the written word of God is our guide for life. You see, Moses, we're living, this is happening in a day when everything was oral tradition. Very little was written down. Very little, okay? I mean, besides Hammurabi's code, which never really took off like Moses' law did, there's not a whole lot written. But Moses is making all these things written. And again, I'm not saying nothing was written. Relatively speaking to today, not much was written. But Moses chooses to write this down and he gives us the word of God for our guide for life. It says Moses wrote this law and he gave it. He spread out to leaders. He didn't just keep it to himself, give it to the priests and to the elders. Which is, this is what's fascinating. The priests, the religious people, the elders, the political people. He said, I want the word of God to be in both. And see, we, people quote all the time something that is not in the Constitution. Oh, don't you believe in the separation of church and state? That's in the Constitution. No, it's not. I've read it. The phrase separation of church and state is nowhere in the Constitution. Okay. Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter to uh, a Baptist association who was concerned about New Hampshire making the Episcopal Church the official state church. And he said, no, there's a wall of separation between church and state. And what he meant, and he even goes on to say, there's, it's a one-way wall where government won't impose a religion on people, but people will choose the religion. That's what that's all about. But today we say, no, no, leave your Bible at home. Don't bring it into politics. And here it's very clear. And just read the founding fathers, how much they quoted the Bible. In fact, they quoted Deuteronomy more than any other source when they were writing the Constitution. Check that out. It's, it's history. Um, so Moses wrote this song and he taught it. And next week we're going to cover it. Again, I encourage you to read ahead on that. Um, let's see. And then it says in Colossians 3.16, this is why we need the written word of God. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And how do you teach it? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Did you know that when we stand up and we sing songs that are biblical and based on the word of God, we are teaching one another. We are encouraging one another. It's not just entertainment. It's not just to make you feel good. It, we are learning things. And there are songs that you know to this day that you heard 35 years ago and I could start them and you'd be able to finish them 
Because when things are set to music, we remember them better. And God wants his word set to music. So that's why Moses taught them this song. Now, since I brought up this subject, I've been meaning to do this disclaimer for about six months. Sometimes we sing songs that are by Bethel Church or by Hillsong. And let me just tell you that between me and the band, we check things out to make sure that everything's biblical. There's a few songs we've dropped because they're just not biblical. There's a few songs we've changed the key word here or there to make it more biblical. But just, just because we sing a song by Bethel Church does not mean that's an endorsement of Bethel Church. In fact, if you ever move to that part of the country, do not go to that church. It is messed up. It is in bad shape. They've been caught in all kinds of fraud, fake healing, sex scandals, financial scandals. I don't recommend that church at all, but some of their music is pretty good. Same thing with Hillsong. You can just do a quick Google search on Hillsong scandal and a million will come up, all kinds of problems, but some of their music is pretty good. And you say, well, Gary, maybe we shouldn't sing those songs at all. You know what? If we went through every song and found out what's wrong with who wrote it, we wouldn't be singing a lot of songs, okay? Um, I can name a few, but right now my memory escapes me. But all, I just want to say that just because you might see this song is by somebody, that's not an endorsement of that church or that ministry, you know, Bill Johnson and Bethel Church at all, okay? Anyway, but the written word of God is our guide for life. But you know what we do instead? We often rely on our feelings. Well, I just don't feel it's the right thing to do. Your feelings can deceive you. Your same feelings said that that guy was amazing and you married him, now you're divorced and now you think he's a jerk. So don't trust your feelings, okay? Don't trust your feelings. Even there'll be times in your life where something doesn't feel right, but God says do it anyway and you obey the word of God, not your feelings, okay? Now, don't obey your physical desires. You know, there's so much, like we, last week we talked about the marshmallow test and that, that your body wants what it wants. We're, not, we're talking about physical, you know, uh, food, Sex, pleasure, sleep, all those things like that. Many people are guilty of hitting the snooze alarm 27 times. What are you listening to? <laughs> okay, the Bible says that the, the sluggard is like a door on its hinges. Hinges, keeps flipping over, going back to bed. Hitting the snooze, going back to bed. You know, you can't be that way and you don't listen to your physical desires, listen to the word of God. You, many people make decisions based on their limited experience. There was someone I knew years ago who had a, was assaulted by someone and said, you know, if he had a gun, he would have killed me. So therefore, to this day, I'm against guns. I'm like, for that's, okay, that may have worked in your limited experience there, but I can name for you 20 people who survived because they had a gun. So don't view everything. You know, one time this person of a certain color attacked me, so I think all people like that are evil. That's the kind of just dumb prejudice that, that takes us in, down roads of ignorance. So don't base things on your limited experience Base it on the word of God. Don't base it on culture. What's interesting is before Roe versus Wade, in, in the 1960s, the overwhelming majority of Americans were against abortion. But a Supreme Court based on a fake case, a woman who didn't even want, her, didn't even want an abortion, tried the case based on all that with everything propped up, decided abortion was legal. Now the majority of Americans think abortion is okay because it's legal. There are things that are legal that are wrong. And there are things that are illegal that are right. Like Peter said, we ought to obey God rather than man. Now, we need to be submissive Christians to our government as much as possible. But if the government tells me to do something that I cannot do, and I have a choice between the word of God and what the government says, I'm going with the word of God. And I'm going to disobey. Now, that doesn't mean you should be an, a punk and an idiot. You should do all that you can to obey the authorities. But then you peacefully, civilly disobey, just like Dr. Martin Luther King did and many other people did to bring about change. 
So don't base it on your culture. Don't base it on pragmatism. Well, I know this is wrong, but in this situation, it's going to help me out. And I know that uh, I really shouldn't miss church, but man, this job is a great job, and I really need a job, so now I'm working every other Sunday, and next thing you know, I'm out of church. Don't base it on pragmatism, and definitely don't base it on your friends. You know, it's found out, a study's been done for the last generation of people's beliefs about the Bible, right and wrong, about finances, about culture, about politics, is more based on what their friends think than anything else. You can show them research and facts, but if all their friends are, think this is okay, it's okay. You can show them all kinds of studies where this, this has caused problems in people's life, but if all their friends are against it, you know, well, I, I don't know. I don't want to be the uncool one. You know, we, we don't want to base our things. On, what do we base our thoughts and our feelings and our actions and our life and our choices on? We base it on the word of God. What would be more, let me ask you this question. What would be more sure and dependable? If right now you could hear a voice from heaven or your Bible. Don't say anything out loud. I don't want to embarrass you, Okay. Many people say, man, if I could just hear from God, if God could just show me something, if God could just do a miracle, if he could do something in my face. Watch what Peter says about this. Peter, who was in the inner circle of Jesus, Peter, James, and John, Jesus' three closest uh, disciples, okay? He, he saw the miracles. He saw the transfiguration. He heard the voice from heaven. He saw these things. He, he says, for he received honor, Jesus did, and glory from the Father, when born to him a voice from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That happened twice at Jesus' baptism and when else? The transfiguration. And we know Peter was at the second one, so that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the transfiguration when Jesus glowed like lightning and the heavenly voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He saw and heard all that. And he says, we heard this voice being born from heaven, being with him in the holy mountain. But listen to what Peter goes on to say. He says, we have also a more sure, more reliable, more dependable word of prophecy. He said, you know, I remember that voice from heaven like it was yesterday, but I've got the word of God right here in my hands. And this is more sure. This is more dependable. Why is that, Gary? I, I think if you had a personal experience, that would be more dependable. You, you know how... You think of something in your past and two people are telling a story about it and someone says, no, no, you weren't there. Yes, I was. I was there. You, no, remember you were at this event and you start remembering it all differently. Oh, that's not what they said at all. They said this. No, no, I'm sure they said this. No, that was another time. And all of a sudden you're trusting your memory of what happened. But when you have the word of God, you're like, what does it say? What did God say? Well, here it is. And you can forget whatever God says, but when you open a book, oh yeah, that's right. He did say this. And you've got a written legal document in front of you that says this is what happened. And you're not trusting your memory anymore. And Paul said this is a more sure word of prophecy than any voice. And you'd be doing really good to take heed to it. So um, when I, my, um, I guess it was my junior year at Baptist Bible College. Um, I was going to go out on a date. And uh, believe, yes, believe it or not, I was going to go out on a date. And um, so I went, I was playing basketball and I went back to my dorm and I was running late as usual because I played basketball too long and I'm getting a shower and my dorm is actually behind, you, I couldn't find a picture of it. So this orange tree on the left, my dorm's behind that at Zimmerman and I'm on the third floor of Zimmerman and we have what was called potty pals. Like you have two rooms and they share a bathroom. It's like your freshman year, all the freshmen, they have all the showers and the toilets are all in one area and everybody has to go down the hall to that. 
But when you get to be an upperclassman, you get to have your own bathroom and shower. You'd share two guys in this room, two guys in this room. So only four of you sharing a nicer bathroom, a nicer shower. And that's what we had. So I went in there. And, you know, of course, there's a door to lock these people so they can't come into your room and vice versa. I don't know how it happened, but both doors were locked. So I get out of the shower. I'm drying off. And my door is locked. And I'm like, I'm like, how did that happen? So, I, okay, I'm going to cut through their room. Oh, their door is locked. And I'm like, how did this happen? And there's a window, okay? So I open the window, but it, it, it's, it hadn't been open in years, and it's like rusted, and it only gets open this high. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And so I don't remember, there was a piece of metal, something on the floor, so I took it and I kind of banged up the, the, the pins on the door, got both pins off, but the door is so thick, it wouldn't pop off at all. It's still locked, and I couldn't get it off. So I do the pins on their door, thinking, no, same thing. So now I've got four pins and nowhere to go. And I got a hole this big. And I'm like, hello, hello. And I'm like, and it's, a, it's, it's one of those blurred windows, you know, so you can't see out very well. And I'm like this, trying to look. I'm like, hey. And everybody is somewhere else. I don't even remember why, but everybody else is somewhere else off campus. And nobody can hear me. And on the first floor of Zimmerman lives the dean of men, Randy Wright. So I take, and right below him in his window is a window unit. So I take the pins and I drop them on his window unit. So he hears this loud clunk, clunk, four times. And he comes outside and I'm like, hello, hello, I'm stuck in my room. I can't get out and lock myself in. And he's like, all right, we'll send somebody up there security with you. I'm like, oh, good, okay. So here's what happens. I say I'm stuck in my shower room and I can't get out. You know the, the telephone game? By the time it gets around and spreads over campus, Gary Milborn has locked himself in his room and he won't come out and he's threatening to kill himself. <laughs> I am not kidding. <laughs> it's it just one thing, you know, he, so people just put in their assumptions of what they thought I said, whatever, but all I said was I've locked myself in a room accidentally and I can't get out. That changed and then he's locked himself in his room on purpose and he won't come out. Well, why won't he come out? And then people add their own little flair to their story to make it sound better, I guess. But what if I had just wrote a letter and wrapped it around the pin and dropped that. Nothing would have changed. He would have passed the security. Okay, Gary Milburn's accidentally locked himself in his room and he can't get out. He wants out. He's not about to kill himself or whatever, you know. And they pass that around because they've got a written record. They don't go on what they heard and it gets changed over generations. That's why God gave us a Bible because it's the more sure word of prophecy. It's the more dependable thing to change lives. We can always go back to it. And people will say, Oh, the Bible's outdated. It's an old book. It doesn't apply today. Um, this is the book that tells you to wash your hands and quarantine if you're sick and stay away from bats. Okay? Thousands of years ahead of time. Then the next thing he talks about is the Ark of the Covenant. The Covenant. The Covenant is more than a contract. A contract, either person has a way out. A covenant is binding to where I'm going to love you no matter what. And God gives his covenant to people, but he says, you're going to despise me and you're going to prove you despise me because you're going to break my covenant. So we are to celebrate the covenant of God. It's interesting, in a little while, we're going to take communion and we're going to celebrate the covenant of God because Jesus said, this is my blood in the what? The new covenant. 
So we're supposed to celebrate the covenant. And Moses commanded them, and he says, at the end of every seven years, at the set time, in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, in other words, when you go out of your houses and you all go on this fancy camping trip, by the way, if you, one of the episodes of The Chosen, they do the Feast of Booths, really cool, very well enacted. Uh, recommend you watch that. And so he talks about that you need to spend time just reading the word of God. And again, in history, nowhere did they do this. They were totally blowing off God and they blow off his covenant. And so Lord Jesus, he gives us the new covenant and he says, as often as you take it, do this in remembrance of me to remember the covenant of the Lord. And he says, hey, Joshua, Moses, I want you to appear before the Lord at a certain place at the tent of meeting. He said, but guess what's going to happen in the future? All kinds of evil is going to come upon you because the people will neglect the place, the tent of meeting, and God will no longer be among them like he is in this situation. So God has a place to be among us. In Ephesians 2.19, he says, so then you, the church, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of what? The household of God. What's that talking about? The church. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself becoming the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. So when we gather together as the church, we are a reincarnation of the temple or the tabernacle of the Old Testament. We are the temple. He says, you are the temple of God. You are the bricks. Each one of you lay one upon another to form the temple of God. It's not about this building and brick and mortar. It's about you. So whether we're in a park or a dance studio or a bounce town or a fancy building, it's the people that are the temple of God and they join together in a holy temple. And what he said to those people, you stopped meeting with me. Just like I met with Moses and Joshua, you guys stopped meeting me and then you wonder why all this evil came upon you. Let's see here. So you've ever heard this phrase before, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. Something that's becoming very obvious to me as we go through the book of Deuteronomy and as we went through the book of Philippians and Colossians is this is also true. The church will keep you from sin or the sin will keep you from church. I really believe that the more I meet with God's people, the more I am encouraged to not wander off into stupid stuff. I need my brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage me, to disciple me, to pray for me. And you know what? I found out that if I start living in sin, you know where the last place I want to be? Is in church. And we see that people stray from church and then we find out years later, oh, that's what was happening. Now they're divorced. Now they're addicted. Now they're lost their job because they didn't want to go to church. And they don't want to go to church just like a criminal doesn't want to go to the police department. <laughs> they're guilty and they don't want to be caught. And, and I'm not saying I'm holier than that. All I'm saying is we all... Raise your hand if you struggle with sin. Okay, every hand should be up. We all struggle with sin, okay? That's why we need one another. Because when I go to life group and people pray for me and I tell my brothers in Christ what I'm struggling with and we pray for each other and we encourage each other and I hear different brothers and sisters take on the scripture that encourages me, that gives me the strength to go into that week to live for God. We need one another. And I found out that the church will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from church. So when someone, here's my desire, when someone attends revolution, we want them to leave here. Not saying the building was impressive, because it's not. Not saying the people were friendly, even though they are. Not saying that the music was good, even though it is. Or not saying that the preacher is funny, because that's pretty rare. But that they love God 
And he met with them in that place. That's what I want. When someone comes to Revolution Church, they need to walk away and say, you know, I don't know if I agreed with everything, and that, maybe that's not my style of music or whatever, but those people love God. And, and he met with them there. There was something in that room there that just said, this, is, this place is different. These people really do sense the presence of God. We're almost done here. He tells them to hear and learn. Hear and learn. That's your, that's your duty as a Christian. Constantly be hearing. And that doesn't mean, just like he said in the video, audible tones going into your ear. But that you're understanding and you're learning for what you understand. And, and as a result of what you've heard and what you've learned, you're going to do what? Fear the Lord your God. And as long as you do those two things, hearing and learning, fearing God, you'll stay in the promised land. But then he says, but here's what you're going to do instead. You're going to rise up in the morning and say, man, who am I going to be with today? Just going to go rise and whore, rise and whore. I don't like saying that word in church, but it's in the Bible, so I'm going to say it. That's what, that, and he says, and you're going to, instead of coming after me passionately, you're going to go after these foreign gods, and then you're going to be among them in that land, because I'm going to take you out. The king of Babylon's going to come down and say, man, those look like great slaves, let's get them. The king of Assyria is going to come down and say, they look like make great servants, let's take them. And you're going to be taken away from your promised land. You see, you will passionately pursue something or someone. Every day of your life, you are passionately pursuing something or someone. He says, assemble the people, being together. I want all ages, men, women, and children. You see, some religions, if you study Islam, who's in the temple praying? The men. In some Islamic countries, girls aren't even allowed to be taught to read or go to school because it's a religion for men and then they teach their family. God says, no, no, hey, men, women, children, everybody, come, come hear the word of God. I want you to, this is an equal opportunity church. This is an equal opportunity religion. He says, even foreigners, people are just passing through trying to make some money and trying to help you with because they're immigrant farmers or whatever. Man, bring them. He said that they, all of them, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. That it's something that we do together as an assembled people. There are times that even as I'm preaching to you, I'm learning things like, I forget what it was. There was something I said a couple weeks ago that just occurred to me right in the middle of the sermon. So great, you know, it paid off. But it's because we're together and we're learning together in God's house. And it says, the Lord said to Moses, but the people will rise in horror and, and, and go after foreign gods among them. So my question for you today is, what are you pursuing? Or more importantly, who are you pursuing? Each and every one of us should be waking up in the morning and say, Lord, I love you. Teach me to love you more. I want to obey you. Give me the strength to obey you. Show me in your word. I want to read. Even if it's just 15 minutes, Lord, show yourself to me. Speak to me. I, I want to meet with you because I love you. I, I want to fall in love with you more and more every day. And let me tell you something. When you're in love with Jesus, it's really hard to hurt Jesus. You see, when you start developing a disobedience problem, you really have a love problem. You're no longer in love with Jesus. You see, David, after he committed his horrific sin with Bathsheba and had her husband killed, he said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You see, David went looking for his joy somewhere else and in something else and in someone else. And there's where his disobedience happened. It's not just all of a sudden, boom, I fall into sin. Wow, how did that happen? It's a slow drift to where we're no longer hearing and learning, but we're going to fill, fulfill our passions with someone else or something else. And then Moses, the Lord says, Moses, you're going to die. 
You're going to lie down with your fathers. <clears throat> the Lord says to Moses, you must die. It, it's a must. It's a consequence for his behavior. It's also part of the transition to Joshua, but it's something that has to happen. So Moses died because of his anger towards the people. He, the people made him mad, which they should have because they were grumbling, complaining. He struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock because the, the rock was a picture of Christ. So this was more than just a temper tantrum. This was blasphemy in a sense. And so we see that Jesus died because of his love for the people. And the Lord said to Jesus, you must die. You see, Jesus came and said, one greater than Moses is here with you. Moses had to die because of his temper tantrum. I'm, I must die because of my love for you. And right there in the midst of it, it says, the Lord appeared in the pillar of the cloud and the pillar of the cloud at the entrance of the tent. What is inside of the tent? The mercy seat. Even through it all, he's saying, you, here's my commandments, you're gonna break them. <laughs> here's my love, you're gonna go love someone else. Here's the promised land, you're gonna go into captivity, but right in the middle of it all, but I still love you. My tabernacle will always be right here. The blood of Jesus Christ will still cover a multitude of sins. And he's right there in the midst of it all. It's such a beautiful picture. And what's interesting is he says, right on either side of this sandwich, Moses, you're going to die. Moses, you're going to die. But I'm here in the midst. The Lord miraculously appears in the darkest of times. At the end of Moses' ministry, at the brink of his death, when he's saying goodbye to his people, maybe on his birthday, knowing that they would turn their hearts away and love other gods after all he's done for them and after all he's taught them, the Lord appears in the tent of mercy. God shows his mercy and his love and his kindness. That his, his love is enduring, his mercy lasts forever, like the Psalms say over and over and over again. Psalm 23, verse four, you know this by heart, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. The shadow of death. There was a young pastor whose wife died at a young age and he was driving his car with his little boy and little girl to his, their mom's funeral. And the whole way there, tears are flowing down his eyes and he's trying to explain, how, Lord, how do I explain to these little kids that their mom is gone? How do I explain to them death and dying and and, and that we're going to see her again. How do I explain this? And as he's thinking and driving, he comes to an intersection and, a, and he stops and a bus goes through the intersection. And, it, and it's like he didn't know whether the bus had run the light or what had happened. But he slammed on the brakes, the bus goes through the intersection. And the way that the sun was, the shadow of the bus went over the car. The, the bus missed the car, but the shadow went over it. And he said, Lord, that's it. He told his young kids, sitting in the back seat, he said, your mom isn't dead. She's in heaven. She's only experienced, he said, what, what, if, what if we had been hit by that bus? That would have been bad. Would you rather have the bus run over you or its shadow run over you? And he said, the shadow, daddy. He said, that's what's happened to mom. She's going through the shadow of the valley, the valley of the shadow of death. But Jesus took the bus for us so that we don't have, so we only have to experience the shadow. You see, Jesus was on the cross and he didn't just go in through the valley of shadow of death. He stayed there and died. And he didn't just experience death's shadow. He experienced death for us. 
And he did that so that we would not be alone. So that when we go through our valleys, we can say, God is with me. Because God is with you because God wasn't with Jesus on the cross. Jesus was the loneliest man in the universe. Even, all of his friends had forsaken him. John, his best friend, was gone, came back later. All the disciples scattered. The people that he came to save were spitting on him and yelling at him. And the only person in the universe that he has is his heavenly father. And he says, my God, my God, why even you, you have forsaken me. Jesus was the loneliest man in all the universe. And that's what hell is. Don't say, I'm going to go to hell because all my friends will be there. You will not see one of them. You will be by yourself with no one to hear you, with no one to talk to for all eternity. And the loneliness is one of the most painful things we experience. Is, low, is hell, literal hellfire? I believe so, but if it's not, it's something much worse. And Jesus went through the valley so that we don't have to. Jesus experienced loneliness so that you would never be alone. Jesus experienced the rod, and instead of it comforting him, it beat him so that it could comfort you. He went through all that for us. How would you not want to give your life to someone like this? I don't care what religion you are. I don't care if you're Lutheran, Baptist, Catholic, Buddhist, whatever. I, what I care about is do you know Christ? He came and gave his all for you. He went through hell on the cross for you so that you would not have to go through it. But it's a gift. He offers this gift to you for free. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It's not based on your behavior. It's a free gift. But like all gifts, you could say, no, thank you. And you can reject it. But I, I, I beg you today not to do that. I would like for every believer of Christ in this room to bow your head and to pray for lost people. And I'd like for you, if you don't know Christ, to bow your head also. And just to, just to hear what I have to say for just a, two more minutes. If you do not know Christ to save you, if you've never been born again, you've never been saved, you didn't have a day in your life where you gave your life to him, would you do that today? He died for you. Every sin you've ever committed against him, he took as punishment upon himself. He buried all your sins in the cross and on the third day, he literally rose again to live forever so that you could live forever with him if you will trust him. If you will give your life to him and make him your Lord and Savior. You could pray a prayer something like this in your own words. Lord Jesus, I know that you died for me. I trust you right now to forgive all my sins that I've committed against you. Thank you for dying in my place. I believe you took them all and I believe that you rose again so I could live for you forever. I give my life to you. You're in control. It's all yours. You gave everything for me so I give all to you. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. If, if, you, if you prayed that prayer, I'd love to hear from you. I, I'd love to tell you about what your next steps in Christ are be and, and how you can follow him. So text your questions even now. If you're watching online, text them in. Because what happens almost every single Sunday is, we have, okay, no more questions? All right, let's dismiss a prayer. And then two questions come in, or at least one. Um, yes, I did. I was and, buying time. And that didn't work out too well. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> didn't start too well, didn't end too well. So there we go. <laughs> okay, question. Never mind, that's not one. Why did God create the tree of good and evil if he knew what would happen if we ate of it? Great question. Very common question. Okay, so... And there's different ways to approach the answer, but I'll go with the classic one. Uh, if I offered you a robotic dog versus a real puppy, 
which one would you choose? A robotic dog that you have a remote control, tell it to bark, tell it to fetch, tell it to come up and snuggle with you, versus a puppy that chooses to do all those things. And if you have dogs, you know, sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. And, uh, but I would even elevate that illustration to the next level. How many of you brought kids into this world knowing that they might grow up and walk away from you and say, I don't, I don't love you anymore? Mm. You brought them into the world knowing that there was a chance that that would happen, right? You guys brought Zeppelin into the world? So far, so good. He's great. But man, he could turn 17 and just say, middle finger to you, I'm out of here. And, and, and it would break your hearts. But you made the choice because you wanted to share your love with someone. And that's why God made Adam and Eve. But he, he couldn't make them robots or automatons, okay? He had to give them free will, and, and they chose wrong. But the, the, the picture is, it's not why did God do that. It's in spite of God doing that, he still chose to kill himself for their disobedience. That's the, the question. Is why would a loving, holy God choose to die for sinful people when instead of just striking them all dead? He should have made them in, spot, in spots on this carpet. That's what he should have done. But he chose to, that's the question we should be asking. But uh, anyway, because, because of free will. Proverbs says there is value in a multitude of counselors. How do we balance this with the word as our primary guide for life? Great, great. So the great thing is a multitude of your counselors includes the Bible. You've got David, you've got Solomon, you've got Peter, you've got Paul, you've got James. You've got a lot of men who heard directly from the Holy Spirit giving you counsel. So include them in your multitude of counselors, okay? But also, you know, talk to Rick, talk to Patrick, talk to Bob, talk to Linda, talk to Tammy, talk to people who love Jesus and get advice from them and compare that with the Word of God. So you, you, you're in a good situation, you know? You've, you've got Patrick and David, King David. How about that? So I would include that. I'm going to add my own word into this question. What version of the Bible do you read from? Great question. Uh, I believe, first of all, let me just say this. There are lots of good translations. There are also some that are not good, okay? Um, I believe the best that, that uh, is the most accurate and readable at the same time, and that's a tough balance to strike because some are really accurate but not very readable, and some are very readable but not very accurate, okay, the message. And, uh, um, the, but the one that balances the two really well is the ESV, ESV. And let me just say, when you read the message, you are not reading the Bible. You are reading someone's paraphrase of the Bible. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying, you know, where the, the Bible may say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And I'm going to exaggerate here. Metro will say, God was so cool that he loved Jesus who was really a hip dude and he came to earth and he, you know, whatever. I, it, just, it just takes too many liberties, but it's somebody's paraphrase of the Bible. It's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. Why did I get up on the message? I don't know. I, well, you know why? I know why. Because one of my pet peeves is the radio stations read the message all the time as mm -hmm. if it's, now here's a, here's a verse from God's word. I'm like, no, here's a verse from someone's opinion of God's word. Anyway, next okay. one. ESV. <laughs> there are over 24,000 ancient fragments and manuscripts of the New Testament in existence today. We find additional biblical documents all the time. Our collection continues to grow. Compared to other ancient texts, like the Iliad, for example, with less than 2,000 ancient fragments or copies, the New Testament is singularly unique among ancient literature. So I think that was more a statement. No, than that's an awesome <laughs> statement. That is so yeah. true. 
People who say, oh, the Bible's changed so much over time. No, we've just discovered more of the Dead Sea Scrolls and we compare them to today's manuscripts like, yep, we still got our Bible. You know, we're talking about if there's any difference at all, there are minor, minor differences as should this have say A or the, you know, just minor, what's an article difference? You know, little differences in someone, but we have enough multitude of, trans, of uh, manuscripts that we have the composite of the word of God and we can translate it from Hebrew to English or Greek to English or Aramaic to English and, and it's accurate. And so everything we find confirms that we still have very accurate translations of the Bible and it's not evolved over time like liberals don't want to tell you. Any other questions? Yes, there's quite a few. Um, how did God's disciples die? So... Um, we, starting with the Bible, we know Judas, one of the disciples who was a false disciple, hung himself. He couldn't even do that right. The rope broke, the rope broke and he fell on rocks below and busted his guts, guts asunder. Some people say that's contradicting the Bible because one gospel says he was found with his guts burst asunder, old King James English, and the other one says he hung himself. Well, put two and two together, monk, and see that he hung himself and the rope broke and, he, and they, where they found his body, the rope probably either had rotted after days around a bloody neck or the rope broke before he could even do the job right. So one of those two. But anyway, um, gosh, I chased rabbits badly here. Um, so that's how Judas died. John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos and died on the island. Other than that, we all can go on history. Peter crucified upside down. James the less boiled alive in oil. Thomas run through with spears, I think. I don't remember. But hi church history tells us how the others die. We don't know for sure if that's accurate or not. But that is in the Bible. Thank you. Yes. James, the half brother of Jesus, was run through with the sword. I thought it was John's brother. Yeah, okay, you're right. I'm sorry. Not James of the epistle. Right. Peter's, uh, watch the chosen. Patrick's right. Okay, go ahead. How can I be a part of the Project 938? Pray every day. Um, if you want to go to the website and see more about some missionaries to pray for specifically, that'd be great. Give to missions. But then on October 3rd, we as a church are going to pray, have a season of prayer to pray specifically for the gospel going in all the world. And there, there are several great missions organizations. We just happen to be part of the BBFI, which I, we chose that one because it mostly aligned with what we believe. And also every dollar goes to the missionaries. Where other mission organizations, most of it goes there and a lot of it's kept for the clearinghouse. This one, 100% of every dollar we give to, we have missionaries in Spain, Ghana, Syria, Scotland, and then of course, even here in the, in the States. And we, every dollar that we give goes directly to them. Was the word courage selected over bravery in Deuteronomy 31.7 and other places on purpose? I learned today that the difference between the two is the absence, bravery, or presence, courage of fear. Um, I've heard that phrase before. I would have, I, I don't know the difference between the Hebrew words, so I don't have a real specific answer for you. I, I've heard that courage is doing the right thing in spite of your fear, hmm. where bravery might be, I'm not afraid. I don't know. I, that's a good question. I don't have, I really don't have a good answer for you. Hi, I see you waving at me. Yes. Um, what should you do to have communion at home? Um... You shouldn't, <laughs> um, unless we did do it one time virtually as a church during COVID. 
And it was definitely a plan D, not plan A. Plan A communion is what are you doing? It's community, communion. You're, you, you're uniting in community with one another. So there's three things you can't do um, on your own. And that's why they're called, um, oh my gosh, um, covenant, uh, ordinance. Thank you. Thank you. Patrick's bailing me out today. Most churches believe in two ordinances. I believe in three and it's nothing controversial. Let me just explain why. Most churches believe in two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Because you don't baptize yourself in a in your pool, or have your brother baptize in your bathtub, the authority, Jesus told his church, you go baptize. So there's exceptions again, Philip, but under the authority of the church, baptized the Ethiopian eunuch out in the middle of nowhere, but that's the exception. The rule is, what you want to do is do it in the body of the church. Um, communion is meant to be taken together as, as a body, because it's a picture of the body of Christ coming together. So it's not meant to be, meant to be done on your own. So can you sing on your own? Yes. Can you pray on your own? Yes. Can you study the Bible on your own? But baptism you do together as a church, communion you do together as a church. And the third one that I believe in is Sunday, the Lord's Day, because you don't stay at home and do church by yourself at home. You do it together and you can't do it separately. And here's the better reason I believe it, not just for that reason, but everything is about the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. The death is the baptism. No, no, I'm sorry. The death is communion. Sorry. The death of Christ. Baptism is the burial of Christ. The Lord's day when we gather together on Sunday morning is the resurrection of Christ. Death, burial, and resurrection in the three ordinances. That's why I believe in three. Okay. And I was just going to say, just to back up, I thought this was really interesting because I know sometimes I'm just like, how are we supposed to verify what you say against God's word? You know, what if I misinterpret something? But I was just listening to something this morning and you were saying what's more important to hear God's word or to read God's word? And there's that uh, Luke 16, 31. Um, it says, you know, um, the guy who was in hell, he doesn't have a name. He said, you know, send Lazarus to me or, or send Lazarus to my brothers and tell my brothers that, you know, so they don't end up here in hell. And Moses told this no-name guy in hell, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, uh, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead to tell your brothers about that. So, I don't know. Excellent point. Yeah. Excellent point. All right, let's stand. Um, hey, Rob Moore, would you come and dismiss us in prayer, please? And while he's coming, let me just say this. She mentioned to go and study to see if these things are true. In Acts chapter 17, Paul, the apostle, one of the apostles inspired the Holy Ghost, taught them the word, and it says the Bereans went home to study to make sure that what he said was true. Here's something I learned this last week. The Bereans were like every other first century Christian. They didn't have the Bible. How did they study to see if what was true? They were quoting scriptures to one another from what they had learned. They had, to, they had to test Paul's teaching in community. So even like in life group, you are testing what you're learning on Sunday morning. And, and again, you, I've said it before, but it's worth repeating, especially for those new. If you think I teach something that's wrong, great. I want you to study and you find out what's right because I'm, I'm not a perfect person. The only thing that's perfect is the word of God. And this is a church where we can discuss the truth and uh, not come up with our own truth, but what is the truth, okay? And I'm not above being questioned. So feel free, if you ever hear me teach something you don't agree with, text me, call me, let's have lunch or do something, and let's talk about it because that would be a great thing for you to do. Thank you, Rob, for praying for us. Sure. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the time we can 
gather together as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, I'm thankful that we can be under the sound of your word. And I pray that in this fallen world that we live, that we might look to you for our true guidance. We have your word. Help us to be obedient to it. Help us to be in it. Father, we're thankful for everybody that's uh, a part of this ministry of this uh, church. And I pray, the Father, for your guidance on uh, a future building and uh, wherever that goes. We're thankful for our Lord Jesus who died for us on that cross. Help us to keep that first and foremost uh, in our minds. Pray that you give us a great day and a, a good week. And we're just thankful in his name. Amen.